Uh, before we begin, Dr. Sandoval, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, Fiona, thank you very much for the invi invitation, uh, both you and Massive Bio. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to uh, to join you guys here today. So, yes, my name is Jose Sandoval. I'm a, a, a system member of the Department of Malignant Hematology and Cellular Therapy at a Moffitt Cancer Center. But uh, I'm actually located in South Florida instead of that in Tampa, where our uh, mothership is, uh, where quote-unquote big hospital is there. I work in a healthcare system that is called Memorial Healthcare System uh, right next to Miami in the Fort Lauderdale Broward area. And I um, only only see patients with malignant uh, hematology cases, but it's more specifically uh, lymphomas. And uh, I also deal with uh, stem cell transplants and uh, uh, CAR T cell therapy and other forms of cellular therapy. Great. Well, thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for everything that you do for cancer patients. And thank you for joining us today. So we'll get started uh, with our first question. And that is, uh, what is lymphoma? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, absolutely. So lymphoma, it is a, a malignancy or it is a malignant cancer that is derived from specific cells uh from our body that are called white blood cells, right? These white blood cells, they're our own personal army. So they are our uh, part of our, they make up part of our immune system, our immunologic system that nowadays with this pandemic is very, you know, uh, involved, I will say. Uh, these, uh, these cells, uh, white blood cells, they have different components. One of the most important components and cellular components are some cells that are called lymphocytes. Uh, these lymphocytes, uh, they are, excuse me, these lymphocytes, they can be, they, can, they are specialized cells of the immune system. Uh, they have different functions. Uh, they have, there are multiple type of variations of lymphocytes, but we can identify three you know, most important lymphocytes, I would say that, that are uh, we call it B lymphocytes or B cells, T lymphocytes or T cells, and natural killer cells or NK cells. All of those cells, we all of them, we all of us, we have these cells and they live in perfect harmony in our body. And they actually go all around your, our body, protecting us against you know infections. Uh, they also are involved in inflammation, in allergies, and even in cancers. They fight cancers per se. So uh, they go all around our body. They're born in the bone marrow. They, uh, but they mature in different parts of our, our body, like in the thymus. It's a gland that we have when we're uh, when we're kids, and it eventually it, it, uh, devolves and uh, when we are adults. But also, and most importantly, in some what we call secondary lymphoid organs, most importantly in the lymph nodes. Also, they can be on the spleen, some areas of the of the liver, and then some other lymphoid tissue that can be in multiple parts of our body even if we're in our gastrointestinal tract, in our skin, uh, even even in our central nervous system. So these uh, uh, lymphocytes, uh, they usually run fine like a really well-oiled machine, but suddenly there are different, different uh, I would say, triggers or injuries that can occur to them that makes them reproduce without a proper control from the body and, and the sort of, quote-unquote, the checkpoint of our uh, or, or homeostasis of our body Go, uh, cannot longer control their growth, and that's when you create cancer of these lymphocytes. 
mainly lymphoma is cancer. It's a malignant tumor of these lymphocytes, could be B, T, or NK cells. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on, that are reproducing on multiple areas of the body, but especially on the lymph nodes, okay? okay. But also in other parts of the body, like skin, gastrointestinal tract, uh, so forth and so on. Okay. And how how does that differ from a solid tumor cancer? So it differs in, we, it differs in multiple uh, ways, right? Uh, for example, uh, the type of cell are totally different, okay? And uh, most of these patients, even though they don't receive treatment right away, uh, as you're going to see, that is a difference between the uh, these uh, uh, particular cancers and solid tumors. Uh, some of them you don't have to treat them, and some of them where patients will never receive treatment for them, and they're going to be long, healthy lives with all their issues. That's one major difference. The other difference is that by just by them, in a lot of cases, we don't use surgical procedures or surgeries to take off the, the tumor per se, mainly at the beginning to do a biopsy and determine the appropriate diagnosis, but afterwards, most of the time, the great majority of the times, they're not amenable of just a resection to be cured, okay? Most of the time, they need systemic therapies when they're in different locations, systemic therapies like immunotherapies, chemotherapies, or if they're very localized, radiation therapy. And another thing is that a lot of these uh, tumors, since they are, you know, disrupting our immune system, right? They also are involved with a lot of immunosuppression. So our patients are very susceptible to, to several types of different infections. And sometimes even without um, without even, uh, you know, starting treatment. And there's a lot of other differences, but that, those are probably one of the most. Those are the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's another one that I, I forgot, but we can talk about that later. But the staging is a little bit different because I got to tell you read this really fast. Even if our patients are, have a stage four disease, they yeah. still can be very well treated and they still can be cured in a lot of a lot of times depending on the lymphoma. Oh, excellent. That's very important and good to know. Thank you. Um, what are the different kinds of lymphoma? Okay, that's a very important question, but a very broad one. So okay. the way I explain it to my patients is that we consider it in two ways, right? First of all, there are... Uh, there are very two big groups, okay? There's one that we call it Hodgkin lymphoma, that is a very small uh, type of lymphomas, okay? And they're always coming from B cells or B lymphocytes. Those Hodgkin lymphomas, they will always come from B lymphocytes, all right? Those are only five types of those class of those Hodgkin lymphomas, okay? Okay. That's one group. The biggest group and the more common one, it's one that we call non-Hodgkin lymphoma. It's not a very uh, original title, but <laughs> one is Hodgkin, the other one not Hodgkin. But in the not Hodgkin group, we have more than 60, 70 diagnoses nowadays uh, recognized by the WHO. Uh, and why are there so many? Because they come from different cells. The less common ones that are usually less than 1% or less comes from those natural killer cells. The ones that follow are comes from T lymphocytes or T cells. Okay, that's around... 10 to 15% of all non-Hodgkin lymphomas. And the most common ones, they come from B-cells or B-lymphocytes that are called B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas. There are, there are about 80 to 85% of cases, all right? Okay. 
And then when we go to the part of non-Hodgkin lymphoma per se, the B-cell lymphomas, right, that they're the more common ones, mm -hmm. uh, we are, we can divide it in also two big groups. Okay. Uh, one of them, we call it the aggressive B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas, or the ones that are fast-growing uh, lymphomas, right? Okay. Uh, those are the lymphomas, the, the, those are actually the most common lymphomas, and uh, the most common one is called diffuse large B-cell lymphomas. We will talk about that later. And the importance of these lymphomas is that they come very fast. You will develop symptoms quite fast and you can, and the patient can get quite ill uh, in a, quite fast, right? In less than three to six months. But importantly, a lot of them actually can be cured, even if they're stage four. So more than, uh, more than 60, 65 plus percent of patients can get cured nowadays. Okay. The, in the other spectrum, we have the uh, B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma called indole lymphomas, that they're slow ACE or slow-growing uh, B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas. From those, the most common one is called follicular lymphoma, that we will talk about that later. But the characteristics of these guys is that they grow, they grow very slow in time. And a lot of times, actually, even in patients that they have a stage four uh, indolent or slow pace growing lymphomas, mm -hmm. a lot of times we don't need to treat the patients right away. Okay. Yeah. And why is that? Because unfortunately, a lot of these tumors, we cannot cure. Okay. We cannot treat them and for them to never, ever come back. They become, most of them, they become a chronic illness that we have to, we are able and very capable of putting them in remissions and very deep, complete remissions. But a lot of times they have the tendency to come back. Okay. And of course there are different exceptions, but they're in between. There's mm -hmm. one more category that is in between, has a little bit of both parts of an aggressive and an indolent mm -hmm. that people call it intermediate grade. Uh, that okay. doesn't really exist, but we see it like that, that is called mantle cell lymphomas. That is only around 6% of all those B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, we can control it really well, but unfortunately it tends to come back. And when it comes back, sometimes uh, it tends to be quite severe and it's hard to control. But we can talk a little bit about that. Okay, okay. That's very interesting. And good to know that there are lots of treatments available and good outcomes. What are the common symptoms of lymphoma and how does that change with the different types of lymphoma? Correct. So for all lymphomas, the most common symptoms that we see is that patients, uh, especially in general, uh, talking about something that overlaps between Hodgkin lymphoma and not Hodgkin lymphoma are, uh, it's just simply like enlarged lymph nodes. Okay. They usually are painless enlarged lymph nodes. And in areas where the skin is very thin, and uh, so you can see those lymph nodes actually more, they're more noticeable to the patient. Uh, let's say, for example, on the neck, on the armpits, uh, on the above your clavicles, or actually in the groin area. Those are the most common symptoms. However, there are some other uh, symptoms that are uh, classically characteristics of lymphomas. They, we call it, quote unquote, B symptoms. But uh, nowadays we call it more constitutional symptoms. What are those? The classical ones are uh, profuse sweating, profuse diaphoresis. So we call it diaphoresis is sweating, especially in the middle of the night. Uh, 
ongoing weight loss, and the classic thing is more than 10% of your normal body weight in the last six months without trying, all right? Not, yeah. not to, without trying. <laughs> and, uh, or recurring fevers uh, by really any other causes, right? Rolling out infections and so forth, recurring fevers. There's some other symptoms that are a little bit less specific. For example, uh, fatigue, more fatigue than usual and that we cannot explain any other otherwise. Mm-hmm. It, for example, in some cases of Hodgkin lymphoma, uh, patients, and that's actually a little bit more common in that disease, patients complain of generalized itchiness or pruritus, we call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes in Hodgkin lymphoma, especially in young people, uh, you can see that if they have a lot of lymph nodes on the neck, especially they have pain on the neck when they drink alcohol, or actually they can get also very itchy when drinking alcohol. Very uncommon, I can tell you that, but it could happen. Um, also, for example, if the lymphoma is invading the, the factory of blood, that is the bone marrow, mm-hmm. uh, there's, that's more common in some lymphomas than in others, but, uh, you know, that can cause low blood counts if you get, and all the consequences that come with low blood counts, you know, easy bleeding, bruising, uh, being more prone to infections and, and, uh, and being fatigued because of severe anemia or whatnot. So that's, that is in general for lymphomas, right? The other thing that, because lymphomas, they can invade almost every organ on your body. So mm-hmm. all, it also depends on the areas where you get have involvement from your lymphoma. Right. For example, if you have a skin involvement, you're going to see nodules, ulcers on your skin, uh, also local areas of itchiness. If you have involvement of your central nervous system, you can have focal neurologic deficits, even uh, if it's localized on the brain or a little bit more generalized seizures mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. If it's in the gastrointestinal system, very, uh, the gastrointestinal tract, very unspecific, uh, dyspeptic kind of symptoms, uh, changes on your, uh, on, on, uh, you know, your bowel movements, right, red blood per rectum, uh, bleeding, so forth. So, so it depends also where the lymphoma is actually invading. Uh, it's in what organ is in, uh, involved. Right. Right. So, so there can be lots of different symptoms. How about uh, mantle cell lymphoma? Could you tell me a little okay. bit about that? Mantle is one of the most interesting lymphomas, in my opinion, in B-cell lymphomas, and one that I am passionate about treating it because uh, it is a very rare B-cell lymphoma. Indeed, it's only 6% of all those B-cell lymphomas, of all no Hodgkin lymphomas, I would say. Um. But even if it's so rare, it has a it has multiple multiple clinical trials going on because it has a little bit of of both of both worlds. It has a, a component of uh, indolent uh, non-Hodgkin B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas because not every patient that's a bit, really big difference. Like from ten years ago, not every patient with mantle cell lymphoma needs treatment right away. Okay. I have patients that I have followed with mantle cell lymphoma for more than three, four years, and they have not required treatment. And, uh, but unfortunately, those are patients that up until today, we cannot say for sure that we have cured those patients, right? That we can definitely cure those patients. Some of them have these potential functional cures, but they are more aggressive than for the cure lymphoma, usually. However, in the other part, when these patients relapse, especially uh, after certain type of treatments, uh, in the past, in the recent past, like three years ago, two and a half years ago, it used to be extremely difficult to control their disease. And unfortunately, a lot of them, you know, they passed because of their disease in a quite a fast way. 
So it's they have uh, bad things from both worlds in, in a way. So, but so that's why we're very interested in keep on, you know, finding out more and more how can we help those patients. And I can tell you, in the past three years, two years and a half, the field of mental cell lymphoma has advanced quite a bit, quite a bit. Okay. This is, yeah, this is a tumor that can involve multiple areas of your body, right? And it's one of the lymphomas that if a patient presents with gastrointestinal symptoms, uh, it's indicated to do an upper endoscopy or, an, or a colonoscopy, depending on what are the symptoms, okay? Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. All right. I think uh, the last uh, type we have is diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So could you share some more information about that? Absolutely. And it's very, very important. The good is for the last, right? So we save the good for last. So diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is extremely important because it's the most common neurological lymphoma that we have. Uh, it, it makes up around 60% of all the diagnosis of B-cell neurological lymphoma. Um, and it's a tumor that is aggressive in its growth. It usually grows fast mm -hmm. and it um, gives patients symptoms fast. And we, if we don't treat those lymphomas fast, the patient can be in, in great trouble. Okay. Their health can be uh, highly impaired. Mm -hmm. So these tumors, for the most part, in more than 70%, 75% of cases, they are stage three or stage four disease, meaning that they're involving multiple nodal or multiple lymph nodes areas of the body. And some, in a lot of times, they're involving structures that are outside the lymph node, let's say the spleen, let's say the liver, bone marrow, and so forth. Okay. Uh, once we do the diagnosis, we need to start treatment as soon as possible. There are multiple types of these non-cotton diffuse RHB cell lymphomas. Some of them are very strange. For example, there's some that are only localized to the brain, all right? We call it primary central nervous system lymphoma. And, and some of them are more common, okay? And then some of them have mutations or genetic alterations that make them a little bit more aggressive and harder to control than other ones. For example, there's a common, not common gladly, it's less than 10% of cases, but one that is commonly known to be more aggressive than the other it's called some of them are called double hip lymphomas some of the other ones are called triple hip lymphomas and uh, those ones are very uh high in med need in in the field of lymph of diffuse such piece of lymphoma we need more and more clinical trials for those more than 60 more than 65 sometimes 70 percent or plus of patients can be cured depending on the stage of the disease depending on the growth on the prognostic factors and depending on the diffuse such piece lymphoma that they have cured with what with chemotherapy plus immune therapy one medication that has revolutionized the treatment of this that is yeah. called rituximab that a lot of people know okay it's a monoclonal antibody however if the lymphoma and it depends how fast the lymphoma comes the diffuse such piece lymphoma if it comes back we still have the a chance to cure it it depends on how has how fast and how aggressive it comes back uh, but we also have some other uh, tools at our uh, disposal that are very important to cure the lymphoma. One of them is a stem cell transplant, what we call autologous stem cell transplant from your own cells. And nowadays, uh, one of the newest kit on the block is cellular therapy in the form of chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy or CAR T-cell therapy, mm -hmm. right? That he's, has been approved for patients with relapsed refractory diffuse RHB cell lymphoma, mm -hmm. mantle cell lymphoma, 
on fully growing lymphoma. Okay. But especially in diffuse large piece of lymphoma, we had we have seen uh excellent results in uh patients that before couldn't have any other viable therapies to control the disease and potentially cure that disease. Okay. So it's a very important, it's a field that is constantly growing and uh that we're seeing a lot of advances right now for our patients. And there's a lot of clinical trials going on for that population. Yeah, that's great. That is really great. Um, I know you did mention a number of different treatments, um, but can you just uh, briefly tell me what the most common treatments are uh, for lymphoma? Absolutely. Let's start with, with uh, diffuse HPC lymphoma, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that is the most common lymphoma. So in that, the most common, the, the, the queen of all treatments that I have been unbeaten for years and years and years in multiple trials is called R-CHOP. So it is a combination of immune therapy. That is the rituximab is a monoclonal antibody. It's not chemotherapy. Okay. That uh, is directed against uh, certain proteins outside of the lymphoma cell. In that case, it's a protein that's called CD20. All right. And the other side, and it's paired with a chemotherapy, classic chemotherapy medications, plus a steroid. Steroids are important to make the patient feel better, but they actually kill, actively kill the lymphoma cells. Okay, so steroids are very important in a lot of our treatments. There are some other treatment regimens that are more aggressive and are used in more aggressive uh, diffuse type or aggressive B-cell lymphomas, like in Burkitt's. That are that are given inside of the hospital in a lot of settings, mm -hmm. and but they're not they're not a standard of care. I would say that frontline the standard of care would be this art shop. Okay, and uh, then from when the lymphoma comes back, we already spoke about total system cell transplant. Uh, there's some other immunotherapies down the road, some medications that enhance the immune system, and so on. Um, some other other new anti it's called antibody drug conjugates that are antibodies again proteins that are directed against uh, uh i'm sorry antibodies that are directed against certain proteins in the lymphoma cell but they have attached to it they have uh small payloads of chemotherapy that are in a way uh somewhat in a we like to think that in a very intelligent and very directed way very strategic way delivers the chemotherapy to the bad cell it's not always like that of course but it, 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 they are proving to be somewhat transformational, very promising in, in, in this field. So in follicular lymphoma, remember the most important thing is to really know when to treat the patient because yeah. not everybody needs treatment. If a patient needs treatment, there are multiple modalities of treatment. Uh, one of them is if there's, the patient doesn't have a lot of what we call high tumor burden, a lot of disease, but that your, the, uh, your oncologist wants to start treatment, that sometimes they can just use that immunotherapy called rituximab, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you have a lot of high tumor burden or a lot of symptoms and we need to treat right away, the rituximab that is the immunotherapy needs to be added to chemotherapy. And they multiple ones of that. One of them is sulsorarchop, another, another is what a medication called bendamustine and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. If the... If the lymphoma comes back, uh, there's also multiple, multiple options. Right nowadays, in a lot of settings, we don't use the classic chemotherapy, right? We use a medication that enhances your immune system, pair again with a monoclonal antibody, being that rituxima or a new kit on the block for rituximab or the youngest brother that is called 
it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a mouthful, but it's called obinotusuma. <laughs> it's a very long name. It's a little bit more powerful in some settings. So, but that is called, it's a medication called menalidomide, and the other one is obinotusuma or this rituximab. Some people can, it can be used on the front line, you know, initially, but it's more common to be used in later lines of therapy. Um, and again, you know, uh, there's a lot of different, uh, uh, you know, uh, therapies that have been approved for follicular lymphoma. A lot of them nowadays are actually oral medications. Uh, some of them are called a PI3 kinase inhibitors. That is, uh, in, is a blocking blocking agents for some parts of inside of the cell of a, of a type of a clockwork that makes the cell grow and grow and grow. It's a, mm-hmm. sort of like a blockage for that pathway. Um, there's some other cells like now. Recently, a very personalized therapy was approved for folks with foli- relapsed refractory follicular lymphoma that blocks a mutation that around 20 to 25% of patients with follicular lymphoma harbors that is called the ECH2 mutation. That medication is called tazemetostat. So it's supposed to be uh, very personalized for those patients. Very well tolerated. It's a pill. Uh, however, you know, we've seen that people... With and without the mutation, they respond. <laughs> so oh, that, yeah. that is a very good option as well. And of yeah. course, CAR T cells have been approved for patients with follicular lymphoma. But now the new things that are coming along are these, what we call, and you guys know it very well, in solid tumors that they're called checkpoint inhibitors, right? Mm-hmm. Checkpoint mm-hmm. inhibitors like nivolumab, embrolizumab, like you name it. It's a whole bunch of them, right? They, they block right. these. They total like let go the brakes of the immune system so the own immune system attacks their own lymphoma, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell you a secret right now that uh, that's why I, I love treating lymphomas. Uh, these checking point uh, inhibitors have the highest rate of effectiveness or response rates of all tumors up until now. It's Hodgkin lymphoma, you know, just with a the single uh, agent of either nivolumab or relizumab, the response rate are. More than 70, 75%, even 80% sometimes. Okay. And wow. now we are pairing them with another type of chemotherapies. And now, so that's approved for later on when the lymphoma keeps coming back and back and back. But now there are mm-hmm. clinical trials that are taking that treatment a little bit earlier on the disease and they've mm-hmm. proven to be super effective. Okay. So it's a very exciting field and more exciting that a lot of patients are getting m- much more effective therapies with less yeah. toxicity. Yeah, that's great. That is wonderful. Um, I think I have, we have one more question, uh, the question of the day. Um, what are the benefits, uh, to enrolling in a lymphoma clinical trial? Okay. The benefits are multiple, right? Multiple, 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 because, uh, there's, uh, highly unmet needs in, in this population, although, I'm very optimistic to be an oncologist. You have to be very optimistic, but uh, you and we are curing a lot of patients from online, but a lot of pati- our patients are progressing. And especially in the, f- in the area of diffuse surgery or aggressive B-cell lymphomas and mantle cell lymphoma, once a patient has a relapsed uh, diff- uh, lymphoma, high aggressive lymphoma, it's not, we are not really successful saving them and curing their disease. Right. So in a lot of these patients, and that's what we, we saw with the development of CAR T-cell therapy. We need a lot of efforts from our community, from our patients and their caretakers to participate in clinical trials. And I will argue that um, 
that participating in frontline clinical trials or things that, you know, that can be readily cure with available therapies actually is very important because this number that I'm quoting you, Fiona, is, you know, the curing about 65% of our patients with diffuse HPC lymphoma that has been hanging steady for the last, I would say, 20 plus years. We're going to see some new, I can tell you, we, this December is going to be very exciting because we have new things coming. I think good things for our lymphoma patients, but it has required a lot of negative trials, right? A lot of trying and trying and participation to get to where we are right now. And I do believe we can improve, but we need new ways to do that. And this becomes more critical, of course, in patients with lymphomas that they have come back over and over and over again, especially with new technology, therapeutic technologies, like some something that are called, we already talked about CAR-T cells, but some other things that are called uh, NK uh, chimeric cellular therapy or biospecific antibodies uh, that they try em to emulate what CAR T cells do, but with infusions and so forth and so on. There's a lot of things that we need to take into account for diseases that unfortunately still cannot cure. And the reality for indolent lymphomas is that we still cannot say that we can cure those diseases. So uh, clinical trials with the effort to cure um those indolent diseases, I, I think they're worth uh, exploring and it's worth for all of our patients to participate and for all physicians to, you know, to uh, promote them, you know, and that's it. One last thing that I wanted to point out is a kind of a, a, a pip that I always try to point out is that a lot, and we did a project about this with my group, a lot of the patients that are enrolled on uh, clinical trials of lymphomas they usually don't really represent our diverse population of the U.S., okay? Mm -hmm. So the minorities, like in a lot of sides of, uh, a lot of uh, parts of oncology, minority patients are se severely underrepresented in clinical trials. So yeah. that's another thing that we need to promote these clinical trials in our minority populations, you know, like African-American communities, Afro-Caribbean, Latin American, Asian American, you know, right? So right. that's also an important population that we need to promote these clinical trials. Okay. I know it might be sometimes a little bit more challenging, but we need to make all the effort that we have to 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 target this this uh admit population. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent with that. I know we see that a lot in all of the clinical trials, uh unfortunately. So uh that's definitely something that, you know, I'm glad that you brought up and we should continue to represent uh, you know, all uh ethnicities and make sure that, you know, there's a broad spectrum of people enrolling in these trials. And another population that is very important in this, especially in lymphomas, are patients living with HIV. All right. That and I want to make the point that those patients, patients who have been living with HIV for many, many years, who have a very well controlled disease, should never, never, ever be excluded from clinical trials. Right. And the uh, National Health Institute and NCI, they have made some changes on that. And I'm glad to see those changes. But we need to be advocates for them as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and sharing this information. It's been super insightful. And I have to say that, you know, I'm happy to hear all of the, the good positive outcomes that patients are having. But I agree with you that we need to, you know, promote clinical trials uh, much more than we're doing. We're doing a disservice, really, by not promoting them. So we will definitely uh, continue to spread the word and and see how many people we can we can help with 
uh, clinical trials. But thank you so much. I appreciate your time and, um, you know, thank you for all the work that you do for cancer patients. Well, you're very welcome. And thank you, Fiona, for having me. And thank you, Massive Bio, for the invitation. I will be glad to uh, help with any other educational uh, sessions that in the future, if you guys need me, okay? But thank you very much. It was a, it was a pleasure. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Bye.